If you're curious to engage with a lot of the topics we explore on the podcast in more creative and embodied ways, we welcome you to join us in Alchemize, our 10-week audio-based program of daily imagination practices intended to disrupt status quo ways of thinking, sensing, relating, and being. To be honest, without any grant support for our show right now, and we did just get turned down by several mainstream environmentalism philanthropies, this program and our Patreon are our primary means of supporting our labor for these free podcasts right now. We really want to remain untethered to corporate interests, and every small contribution to our Patreon or enrollment in our program Alchemize helps to ensure that we can continue producing these vital conversations that feature voices and perspectives often sidelined from mainstream media. So if you value our work and want to dive deeper with us, join us in Alchemize today at greendreamer.com slash alchemize and join our Patreon starting at just $3 at patreon.com slash greendreamer. Thank you so, so much for however you were able to support our work during these critical times. We are so deeply grateful. If we want to make a difference in how much plastic, how many plastic bottles are being used, we need to be able to provide people with something that's just as convenient as bottled water. In the middle of this global awareness to use less single-use plastic bottled water, why is the bottled water market still on the rise? Why is aluminum superior to plastic as a material used for single-use packaging? That's just the tip of the iceberg of what you'll hear today. To sign up for Green Dreamer's weekly highlights that I write myself and send every Sunday, just head to greendreamer.com. We now also share three social and environmental wins to know for the week. And personally, I've really enjoyed getting to know the cool things people are doing, the breakthroughs we're having, and just positive actions being taken that we can take inspiration from. To join me in staying in the loop, again, you can just head to greendreamer.com to sign up with your email. For now, to our episode, let's dive in. Hey, it's Kamea Shane, and this is Green Dreamer, a podcast for creatives, visionaries, and entrepreneurs dreaming of a sustainable future. Thank you for bringing your light. If you haven't already, make sure to hit subscribe, and together, let's learn what it takes to thrive in every sense of the word. Our guest today is the CEO and co-founder of Open Water, a bottled water company that uses aluminum packaging as a more sustainable alternative to single-use plastic bottles. Using aluminum to package drinks isn't new. If you think of a lot of our currently canned beverages, this technology and practice already exists. For whatever reason, though, it just hadn't really been used for water. So after watching a documentary about plastic pollution, our guest and her co-founder, Jess Page, became pioneers in the world of aluminum water packaging in 2011 when they founded Open Water. It was actually previously known as Green Sheep Water that I mentioned in a past episode in 2018, so that name might be familiar to you. They rebranded in the recent months to Open Water. Green Dreamer, starting off with what inspired her love for the environment. Here's Nicole Doucet. For me, it was experiences growing up. The ocean played a very important part of my life as a kid. My family was lucky enough to have access to a beach and we would go on vacation to the oceanfront. And that connection to uh, nature and being outside and, and enjoying 
being outside. I think it, it started making me more conscious and loving, you know, the environment and, and understanding that it, it provides things that you really can't find anywhere else. And then what did you learn particularly that made you feel like we needed to help protect our planet? I think going back to to those same experiences that I had as a kid at, on the beach and then growing up and going back to, to those same places and seeing, you know, trash on the beach and inside the ocean. I think it, it created a, a very stark contrast be, between what my experience was as a kid and then um, how things have changed um, since then. And, yeah. and I think that really, I, I, it was, it was very, um, I guess, shocking, but, but then it was, it was kind of like, sometimes you see these things and it's hard to know how to take action or if the problem feels so large that you don't know how to take action. Mm-hmm. And so it was something that I, I think I, I realized it was shocking. I definitely did not like it, but I didn't really know what to do about it. And then a, a few years later, when I was in college, I watched a documentary on plastic pollution. And I I don't recall what the name was. It was a few years ago. But it, it talked about what plastic was doing to our environment. And again, it was something that I think everyone already knows. Everyone already knew that plastic wasn't you know great for the environment. But seeing the numbers, it was just so staggeringly large that it was even hard to comprehend, you know? And walking out of there thinking, you know what, this is this is really an issue that we we need to deal with. And and I think I'm transitioning a little bit into kind of like what led me to to start this business, but just seeing how bottled water played a role in that problem with with plastic made me want to do something about that. And and it feel like it felt like something more tangible that something that I could actually do something about than just thinking about plastic pollution in general. So you mentioned this is kind of an issue that most people already knew about, at least in the back of our minds. Why do you think it was that not a lot of action was being taken prior to, I feel like a lot of things have been done this past year, uh, 2018, but this issue has been around already for so long. Yes, for sure. It's It's been around for, for a very, very long time, and, it, and it's been a an actual problem for a very, very long time. I think that there's two main things that have happened. I think the first one is that, yes, we were conscious, but I think the level of consciousness has, has really reached a different level this, this past couple of years. And, and it's nonprofits like, you know, the Lonely Whale Foundation, Oceanic Global, um, these nonprofits that really put work into making people aware of what the problem is and making businesses aware of what the problem is and trying to shift the way that consumers and businesses buy products and how they operate. And, and I think that's one. And then the, I think the second one is also on the envir- environmental activism side. It used to be that environmentalists talked about the problems and they talked about the issues, but the solutions that they would offer were s- somewhat unrealistic. And it made it hard for normal people who maybe, you know, still wanted to really do something about it, still felt passionate about um, some of these environmental issues to change the way that they were acting, right? Because there were no, there were no viable solutions that were being offered. And I think on the environmental, on the environmentalism side, that has changed. um, And the conversation is changing instead of saying like, look, there's this huge problem. It's changing to there's this huge problem and here's some easy things that you can do to actually make a difference. I mean, I feel like most people do care. We just have to offer 
practical and easy solutions for people to um, start working on. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I think I, I think that has been uh, behind this large shift in, in, in consciousness and, and people actually doing things. And you are definitely a huge part of this. So uh, thank <laughs> you so much for everything that you do. So you started Open Water, formerly known as Green Sheep Water, that we actually talked about in a past episode as a practical and positive solution to tackling plastic pollution. What's your story behind this? So I know you were uh, learning about plastic pollution. What then led you to actually put it, putting your foot down to start this? Yeah, so, so I watched the documentary that I was talking about earlier. I watched a documentary with um, a friend from college, and we both walked out of the theater thinking, you know what, this is, this is terrible, and, and why, does, why does bottled water even exist? You know, there's clean water available from the tap. There's hundreds of brands of reusable bottles. Um, there's more and more water fountains being installed in college campuses, around cities, in offices. And yet, and, and we did a little bit more research, and yet if you look at the bottled water industry, it keeps growing and growing and growing. So despite there being this perfect sustainable solution, which is reusable bottles, which is tap water, that wasn't really making that much of a dent in terms of the number of plastic bottles being used. That was kind of like where, where the light bulb turned on for us. We realized that bottled water is part of the value that it it gives to people is, is the convenience. People want something that's ready to drink. It's cold. It's available. Even people who, you know, religiously carry a reusable bottle with them sometimes find themselves in places where either they don't find a place to refill it or they're not allowed to bring it in or they're traveling or there's a million situations where you might find yourself with that one. And so we said, well, even though this perfect solution exists, if we want to make a difference in how much plastic, how many plastic bottles are being used, we need to be able to provide people with something that's just as convenient as bottled water or reduce the impact of the packaging. That's where the idea came in. And we, we started doing a lot of research on, on different packaging materials. And we looked at you know, plant-based plastics. We looked at glass. We looked at cartons. And then we found aluminum. And aluminum is recycled more than twice as often as any of those other uh, beverage containers. It doesn't lose any quality or volume in the recycling process, so it's infinitely recyclable. So you can make the same product over and over again um, infinitely, which is super, super cool. And then there's all these economic incentives that exist to make sure that recycling actually happens. And so that that's what makes the material enjoy such such high recycling rates. And so we we basically said, this is an idea that we think could actually make a difference and no one was doing it. And so uh, we said, let's do, let's do bottled water in, in this type of container instead and see if, if people kind of respond to it. Why are there incentives to support the recycling of aluminum in particular and not necessarily other types of materials? So it's, it's an interest, intrinsic incentive. It's, it's all related to the value of the material itself. Aluminum has a very, very high scrap value. So one of our empty aluminum bottles or empty cans, you can actually sell that. And so what happens in, in the recycling process is that recycling companies make the most money out of recycling aluminum, which means they actually want to recycle it. And so that creates this whole chain 
that ensures that that material is recycled. And that same incentive does not necessarily exist with other materials like plastic because plastic is so cheap. And so plastic, it might sometimes, depending on oil prices, it might be cheaper to buy new plastic, virgin plastic, than to buy recycled plastic. And so that incentive, it kind of, that that cycle gets broken because that incentive is not there. Right. Uh, for, for aluminum, recycling aluminum saves so much energy over mining new aluminum that it it makes that it makes that chain work very very well. And you mentioned that aluminum is infinitely recyclable, which I think is a really important point because there are other materials like plastic that degrade in quality um, every time that it gets recycled, right? Exactly, exactly. So when you melt plastic down and make it into pallets, it loses quality and it loses volume. And so even if everyone recycled their plastic bottles, even if we somehow reached a 100% recycling rate, which we're nowhere close to, you would still have to make new plastic. And whereas for aluminum, you can take that same chunk of aluminum and recycle it into like a bottle that's just as high quality because it doesn't lose any characteristics or properties. Exactly. And it, it's actually really cool on, on, on the beverage can side, which is the, the packaging that we use. And we use a, a, a standard can, which is just a normal soda can that you're used to. And then we also use a bottle shape aluminum can, which also has an aluminum cap. Um, but on, on, the, on the beverage side, on the packaging side, aluminum is very cool because 70% of the aluminum content on the average can in the U.S. has already been recycled. So it's, it's, it's just because of all of those incentives, you're starting off with a container that is already has already been through the process at least once, which is very cool. Right. And you're not really starting an entire new system like this system already exists. It's at least working relatively much better than other recycling systems. So just bring it over into the water world, because like you said, you know, sometimes you forget or there are places where tap water isn't drinkable or we might have water pollution issues like Flint, Michigan, or I don't know, they're like disaster reliefs where people have to get a lot of water into somewhere really quickly. There are just certain times when people still need that convenience. So we still need bottled water for those instances. Exactly. So our, our aim as a company is to provide a more sustainable alternative for, you know, single-use plastic for those times where you find yourself away from the tap or you don't have your reusable bottle with you. Yeah. And when we do recycle our cans, are there ways to make sure that they do end up in the right hands to get recycled? Is it sufficient to just toss them in the regular recycling bins or are there specific places that we have to take them? It's usually sufficient to toss it into a recycling bin. Like I said, it's it's the material that recycling companies want to receive the most. Right. So they'll look out for it and exactly. take it when they see it. Exactly. And, and in other in other countries, you you see this a lot more than you do here in the U.S. But I'm 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 originally from Mexico, and and you see people even when people throw the cans into the trash, you see this entire economy being built around uh, people going through you know the trash, the landfill and grabbing those aluminum cans back because they know that they can sell them. And so I think even in places where the material ends up in landfills or there's not, there's no really, you know, curbside recycling programs or that kind of stuff, it still finds its way back to a recycling facility uh, because, because of all of these economic incentives. Mm. Well, if only all of the trash or all the products that we created had this sort of inherent value so that when they're disposed of, they still have enough value to incentivize 
people or companies to take them back and bring them back into this circular ecosystem that would be amazing yeah i think that would be amazing but, but i think the other you know it, it cuts both ways and this is something that we we struggle with as, as a company the fact that the material that we use highest higher has a higher scrap value also means that our costs are, are higher because we use that material one of our aluminum bottles costs almost 10 times as much to make as a plastic bottle and so yes you definitely you definitely want to have that then it's it's inherently what makes our product more sustainable than single-use plastic but at the same time you need consumers to be willing to pay you know a little bit more to have a product that has a higher chance of, of making it back to into the system and getting recycled do you foresee that as a problem or has this been a challenge already in getting people to be okay with the higher price tag I think it was it was more of an issue when we first started. We launched our our company and our products in 2014, so it's been it's been four years now. And I think the level of consciousness, like we said at the beginning, it, it, it it's definitely grown. And and I think when we first launched, we we as a company needed to find other companies or other consumers that were very 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 much linked to the environmental movement and and who believe that. The environment was something that we really should take care of, and those would be our customers. And now it's it's kind of broadened its appeal, and and we're reaching to you know new consumers, uh, a lot of businesses that maybe you wouldn't think of as being particularly sustainable. And everyone is really trying to to make a difference. And so I think it's it's still an obstacle. Um, it's still an obstacle when you're asking uh, businesses or consumers to to pay more for for a product. But I think it's it's definitely changed in, in the past four years. I know that you guys rebranded a few months ago. How was, what was the challenge that you wanted to overcome with the rebranding? Uh, yeah, so we, um, in September, we, we changed our name from Green Sheep Water to Open Water. And, and the reason behind that was that our Green Sheep Water name was maybe confusing people a little bit. When, when you see our product on the shelf, it doesn't necessarily look like all the other bottled waters out there. People aren't used to not being able to see through the container. Mm -hmm. And so I think people might already be a little bit confused when they see our <laughs> product because it's so new. And then on top of that, you add this quirky name that has something to do with sheep and you've just lost <laughs> everyone. <laughs> and so I think it was something that we, we realized early on we, we personally liked the name because it was quirky and it was different and, and it kind of set us apart from the industry. But at the same time, we realized that it was we were creating this additional obstacle for people to understand what we were what we were selling and what our mission was and why we existed. And, and the impetus behind uh, changing our name was getting rid of that confusion and finding a name that would link us more closely to our mission to keep oceans clean. And I love it too. It instantly makes me feel like, I don't know, it just reconnects me to like the open waters, you know, <laughs> like water and nature. So I personally love it. Thank you. Thank you. We, it took us a very long time to find a name. Names are hard. Yeah. <laughs> so, 
I'm sure. So shifting gears, you know, just plastic pollution in general, it's been all over the media, especially throughout these past few years. Most people at this point have seen pictures of beaches trash with plastic water bottles and other plastic items. What are some other environmental or health issues about the bottled water industry that most people might not know, but should know? I mean, I think I think on the environmental side and, and you and I were talking before about about recycling and I think a lot of people don't really know what we were talking about uh, regarding plastic recycling. When we do, you know, events and, and I'm there talking to people, a lot of people will say, well, I always put my plastic bottles in the recycling bin, so I'm not really contributing to the problem. I think that's a bit of a misconception because things turn out to be more complicated than that. First of all, like, like we were saying before, plastic loses quality and volume when you recycle it. So even if everyone recycles, you still need to make new plastic to create the same amount of bottles that you had at the beginning. Second of all, and, and we also kind of touched on this, recycled plastic can sometimes be more expensive than virgin materials. So even if you do recycle your plastic bottles, there might not be a secondary market for that material once it gets recycled. And then the, I think the final part, and this is more recent, the U.S. infrastructure for recyc- recycling plastic is not that well developed. We used to ship a lot of our used plastic out to China for it to get recycled. And back in January, China said that they were going to stop taking our plastic. And and I think that with China's door closed now, much of that recycled plastic is likely ending up, you know, landfills and oceans as, as it was before. So, so the fact that people are recycling plastic is great. Uh, but even if you do that, it, it's not it's not a simple solution, and 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 that, those plastic bottles might still end up in a place where you don't want them to end up. Right. So for somebody who is saying, you know, I do recycle everything that I use that's plastic, what's the best way for us to communicate everything that you just said to them so that they'll be able to easily understand the issue and also know what options they have? <laughs> I, I honestly don't know um, how to make it simple because it is <laughs> it is a complicated issue and and I think you I think people need to understand like what actually happens to the materials after they put them into a recycling bin. Maybe the the best way to put it is is saying that recycling is great and it's definitely something that we should all try to do and keep doing. But the best solution is to just avoid single-use plastics altogether as much as possible. And on that note, I feel like sometimes when we talk about health, people are, people are more alarmed by that because it more directly impacts them. So there's been a study done by scientists at the State University of New York showing that over 90% of tested bottled water contains microplastics. What is the lowdown here? What do we need to know about that? I think what we need to know about that is that Plastic is just a very, very pervasive material. I don't think they have def- def- defined yet where the microplastics are coming from. They don't know if it's you know, from the bottle, from the cap, from the water itself. But a similar study was done on beer a couple years ago, and microplastics were found in beer too, despite it coming not in a plastic bottle. Plastics have been found in seafood, you know, oysters, um, in sea salt, and, and even the air. And so I don't think microplastics are, are an issue that are that only like belongs to the bottled water industry. Microplastics are, are everywhere. And, and I, I think that's 
that's the, the one thing that we can conclude from, from that study. <laughs> they're already everywhere. And the frustrating thing is that I feel like microplastics, once they're out in the environment, they're a lot harder to clean up after the fact, because how do you clean up these freaking tiny pieces of microplastics. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I think it's, it's pretty much impossible. Um, well, knowing the properties of plastic, do you have an inkling of whether they come from the water bottles themselves or is it just that they're so small, they're bypassing water treatment systems that they're ending up in our drinking water? Yeah. I don't, I don't think there is, there is uh, a clear answer on that yet. But like I said, if if the if the same microplastic particles were found in, in beer and, and beer does not come in contact with plastic bottles, I I would think that it's it's more on the source of, of you know the water itself rather than than the packaging. But but there but there's really I, I don't think there's been a conclusion on that yet. So I, I don't want to yeah for sure you know I, I don't want to jump to we will keep an eye out for additional follow-up studies so we can stay posted on this because it sounds like it is a really widespread issue. And yeah. so today, given that plastic pollution is already a global issue, how do you think we can most effectively tackle plastic pollution as soon as possible? Yeah, I, I mean, I think I think choose choose reusable products um, as much as possible. S- Single-use stuff um, is is convenient, and and sometimes you have to use it and it's hard to get away from it but it, as much as possible you should try to use reusable things and 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 that and and that same that same advice also applies to to our own product our own product is not as sustainable as a reusable bottle if you're going to drink bottled water then open water is i would say the best option out there but if you can use a reusable bottle if you're close to the tap um, if you have a filter at home, I think that's that's a better solution, and, and people should try to do that as much as possible. I love that. So it's not you're not trying to convince people to buy open water. It's just when they need this bottled water option, this is the best out there. Exactly. And taking a step beyond plastic pollution, what do you think we need most to be able to really come together and effectively work towards a healthier future? Well, I, I think there's there's still a disconnect between our consumption and then the consequences of that consumption on planet. It's easy to throw things away and and never think about them again. But but the reality is that there's there's no way. Things always end up somewhere. For plastic, that somewhere is is often and the ocean, and and that's that's really sad. Um, but but I think I think what we need to do in general is it's bridge that disconnect and and try to educate people more. We work with a lot of zoos and aquariums that are incredibly, you know, conservation-minded, and and they have taken up taken up on themselves to to change the things that they're buying to reflect those values better. So they partner with with companies like ours, and at the same time, they put a lot of effort into educating people in terms of what the consequences of, of consumption are. And then I also think that nonprofit organizations, what they do surrounding education is extremely important. Like, like I said, we, we work with and, and partner with Oceanic Global and the Lonely Whale Foundation, and, and they do an incredible job at making sure that, you know, people keep this issue top of mind. Well, we would love to stay posted on what you guys do. So what's next for Open Water and where can we follow you online? We've been growing very quickly, and, and I hope we'll continue to grow and, and expand our reach um, across the U.S. We had the, the still and the sparkling water in the twist-off top bottles for, from a couple of years back, and then we launched the 12-ounce 
cans, a standard can that's not reclosable this past year. We're hoping to see a, a wider spread, spread use of, of, of the can. In terms of where you can follow us online, we have a website, drinkopenwater.com. All of our handles for Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all of that stuff is at drinkopenwater. So make sure you, you check us out. Amazing. And how can we support you into being everywhere on every shelf next to plastic <laughs> bottles? People and consumers often forget how much power they have. We've gotten into a lot of retailers because people have asked for our products. If you have, you know, a grocery store that you go to or a market in your office building that you buy uh, stuff at, a restaurant that you're a customer of, you can ask for our products. And, and that usually, it, it is incredible how much that helps. I think business owners like to listen to their clientele and, and when the customers are saying, hey, this is a product that we want and we would actually purchase, that's pretty powerful. Right. It'd be a smart move on their end to listen to what their customers want. <laughs> exactly. This podcast wouldn't be here without you, Green Dreamer, so just wanted to say a sincere thank you for being here. A few people asked if we have a Patreon page so they can support the show on an ongoing basis, and the answer is now yes. If you've been finding Green Dreamer podcasts helpful in any way and would like to contribute whatever you're able to, you can head to patreon.com slash greendreamer. We'd love to be able to keep the podcast going, as well as share more resourceful content on our new blog on our website, so your support would be so immensely helpful and greatly appreciated. Again, to become our Patreon supporter, you can just head to patreon.com slash greendreamer. For now, on to our final five. Let's power through. What's an uplifting social media account or publication you follow? Parley TV, which is uh, an organization that has started an upcycling program for plastic that ended up in the ocean. And they partner with all these cool companies to make products out of that upcycled plastic. Their Instagram account is very cool because you can see them picking trash and turning them into these amazing products. And then they also have amazing photography that's really focused on the oceans. The captions usually have, you know, really interesting facts and figures about marine animals and, and that kind of stuff. That's something that I really like to see. Um, what do you tell yourself to stay positive and inspired? There's there's this quote that I I really like, and I, I'm not sure who said it, um, <laughs> but um, it says, we didn't come this far to only come this far. It really keeps me going because building a business is hard. It's been a lot of work to get to where we are, but but that feeling of, you know what, we, we've come all this way, we're trying to stop now. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's pretty cool. And then I also have a very deep, deep conviction about what we do. And, and I, I know that open water has the potential to have a very, very large positive impact. And I think having that conviction really, you know, keeps you inspired and keeps you wanting to keep doing what, what we're doing. Uh, what's one thing you do for your health, either daily or weekly? I like sports, so I I uh, play soccer and I I like rock climbing. I'm, I'm a bit addicted to that. Um, <laughs> and then I I also like cooking, and and I think that's one of the things that I don't know if everyone like thinks about cooking as being like great for your health, but I think that you know making homemade meals is one of the best things that you can do to be healthy. What's one thing you're working on right now to live more sustainably? I'm trying to be more conscious about what I eat. I stopped eating tuna a few years ago after reading a book on how it's being overfished and, and basically fished um, to, to the point of extinction. 
but recently I've been working on reducing the amount of meat that I eat as well. What makes you most hopeful for our planet right now? I think it's what we touched on at the beginning. It's this incredible surge in just general consciousness about environmental issues. I think that that really makes me hopeful. And what final words of wisdom do you have for us as green dreamers? That you you have the power to change the way that things are made by choosing products that are made in a more sustainable way or asking for them. I think we often forget that that as consumers we have this we have so much so much power and I think that's something that we should keep in mind. As consumers, we have so much power, so let's keep that in mind. Green Dreamer, thank you so much for tuning in. You can find the two tweetable takeaways from this interview and the full show notes with links and resources at greendreamer.com slash 113 for episode 113. You can reach me with feedback on how I can improve the show for you through the website's contact page. And you can find me on Instagram at Kamea Shane, as well as on our new account at Green Dreamer Podcast. I also wanted to thank our reviewer of the week, Music Fanatic, for their feedback. They said, I just started listening to this podcast while at work and Kamea does an excellent job when interviewing her guests. The episodes are so inspirational and positive, even when discussing heavy-hearted topics like the state of our planet. I would recommend this podcast to anyone looking for inspiration or wants to learn about sustainability from all sorts of people. Thanks for making this podcast available. End quote. Thank you so much. And you are absolutely right. It's not always easy to process information when we're just, you know, learning more about our social health and environmental problems around the world. But I'm really looking forward to continue learning with you, you know, what it is we can do, how we can break complex topics down, and how we can fuel our motivation forward with practical and inclusive ideas and solutions. If you'd also like to support Green Dreamer, you can become our Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash greendreamer or just leave us a review of what you're enjoying. If you do get a quick moment to do that, make sure to also leave your social media username, business name, or name of the passion project you're working on so I can potentially give you a shout out and we can check your workout. Finally, as we're wrapping up, just remember, now more than ever, our planet needs your light to thrive. So if you haven't yet, hit subscribe and I will catch you later, Green Dreamer.